And he does that when we ask him to. While Pastor Craig was speaking there, I thought of the blizzard of 1978. And he and my son hiked from our house on Willoughby Court over to 10th Street and Girls School Road to get, what is up with this? If, if a storm's coming, you got to have milk and bread. <laughs> is that what you eat when there's a blizzard on outside? Well, good luck for you. But that's what we got. <laughs> we ran out of milk and bread. Can you believe it? But anyway, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, even look up at the screen without that vision coming into my head of those guys wading um, through drifts that were clear up to their waist, and, and then some, because they weren't all that big then. But uh, it's just a joy to be here. Thank you, Pastor Craig, for inviting us to come. And uh, we just want to share with you today what I believe God has for us. I would like to do something this morning that I think is significant and very important. How many of you in this room served in the armed forces? Would you please stand? I want you to stand right now. Oh, yes. Ladies, too. Is there, are there ladies that have served? Let's make these people know we appreciate them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. In a day when patriotism is having its problems, I'm thankful for people that laid their lives on the line so we could do what we're doing today. And we appreciate you so much for that. Uh, I've been asked to, uh, well, I've had some requests, but I'm going to play anyhow. <laughs> Probably this is a song that uh, I played every Memorial Day for I don't know how many years, a long time. And it's just a simple song that talks about God's truth marching on.
thank the Lord. Amen. Whoa. Had to wake up my fingers this morning. We're going to talk today about the power of words. Words. It's an amazing thing what words can do. I have an aunt that lives in uh, San Jose, California. She's 85 years of age. She's been here since way back. <laughs> she came from France and has spent 69 years in the United States. And she still has an accent that'll just knock your hat off. It, I can hardly understand what she says. And she sent me something the other day that really grabbed my attention. Only the British could have invented this language. We'll begin with a box, and the plural is boxes. But the plural of ox becomes oxen, not oxes. And the fowl is a goose, but two are called geese. Yet the plural of moose should never be meese. You may find a lone mouse or a nest full of mice, yet the plural of house is houses, not heist. If the plural of man is always called men, then shouldn't the plural of pan be called pen? If I speak of my foot and show you my feet, and I give you a boot, would a pair be called beat? If one is a tooth and a whole set of teeth, why shouldn't the plural of booth be called beef? How you doing? <laughs> then one may be that, and three would be those. Yet hat in the plural would never be hoes. The plural of cat is cats, not coes. We speak of a brother and also of brethren. But though we say mother, we never say mothern. Then the masculine pronouns are he, his, and him. But imagine the feminine, she, shiz, and shim. <laughs> Let's face it, English is a crazy language. There's no egg in eggplant, nor ham in hamburger. Neither apple nor pine in pineapple. English muffins weren't invented in England, and we take English for granted, but if we explore its paradoxes, we find that quicksand works very slowly, boxing rings are square, and a guinea pig is neither from Guinea nor is it a pig. <laughs> so why is it that writers write, but fingers don't fiend, grocers don't gross, and hammers don't ham. <laughs> Doesn't it seem crazy that you can make amends, but not one amend? If you have a bunch of odds and ends and get rid of all but one of them, what do you call it? If teachers taught, why didn't preachers prot? <laughs> if a veget vegetarian eats vegetables, what does a, <laughs> what does a humanitarian eat? Sometimes I think all the folks who grew up speaking English 
should be committed to an insane asylum for the verbally insane. In what other language do people recite at a play and play at a recital? We ship by truck, but send cargo by ship. We have noses that run and feet that smell. Yeah, of course. (laughs) We park in a driveway and drive on a parkway. How can a slim chance and a fat chance be the same? While a wise man and a wise guy are opposites. You have to marvel at the unique lunacy of such a language in which your house can burn up as it burns down, and in which you fill in a form by filling it out. Ah, in closing, if fathers pop, how come mothers not mop? Well, there you go. No wonder we have such a problem. The English language is an amazing thing, and yet God has chosen God has chosen to let this language speak to us. And when I am up here, it is always amazing to me if I ever watch myself preaching, I wonder, what motivated you to do that? And then I read the scripture that tells us that by the foolishness of preaching, that people come to a knowledge of Christ and and, and eternal things and so on. Not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching. And so this morning, the power of words in our families. Sometimes words can build us up. Sometimes they can tear us apart. And advertisers have found a lot out about words and how to get our attention with them. Here is the new sling that has been invented. Or how about, would you like to have something instantly? Isn't that a good one? Or free? I like that. Or you have it your own way. And visa everywhere you want to be. Wow. Powerful words and what they do in our lives. If we could understand how much power there is in what we say, we might be more careful in what we say. If we understood that somebody is really taking in what we are telling them or talking to them about, maybe we would spend more time carefully weighing our words and how we say them. I love the coach. Coaches motivate teams, and we all get caught up in that that great group of men that run out on the field, and they are dressed to the hilt with helmets and, and shin guards and all of that kind of stuff. I'm thinking of the, of the great coach, I think it was John Wooden, that had a group of men at halftime, and the, they were sitting there, and they had just been almost run off the field in the first half of a football game. And old John walked in, and he just paced around a little bit, had his arms folded, never said a word, nothing. And then when the bell rang for them to go out to that second half, he said, go get them, girls. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, get out of the way, because here they come. And they went out and mopped up that field with that other team. Today's a reminder of the five words in our home. And let me just say this to you. Pastor Craig, this is something heavy on his heart to, to build up the families of this congregation and those that he ministers to. And that's why that he asked me if I would come and try to pick up, and I'm not always used to doing this, but this is an important thing that we're looking at this morning, and so I pray that God will make it just come alive for us as we share together. First of all, the advice for building up families. Could, could I just uh, pose a question here? In a family, you know, I had a boy and a girl, wonderful, wonderful children, never fought. <laughs> Just always loved each other. But I recognized early on that they had to live together in our house. And that did something to Betty and myself because we were the ones that had jurisdiction over these little people that were sometimes smarter than we were. How do you imagine that James must have felt growing up in a home where Jesus was. Who got the cookies? You think James is going to say, Jesus did. That, that little rascal right there, he's the one that's guilty of that. But think about it. They had to grow up together. And this is the kind of understanding that we can gather from words as we speak them. In James chapter 4 and verse 11, I want you to listen to this. It's, this is a powerful thing, and I think we'll have it up on the screen here. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Lawgiver and judge the one God, he is the only one that is able to save and destroy, but who you are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I got a little ahead of myself there with one verse, and I'll come back to that later on, but think about the fact that when we are passing judgment on somebody else, we are actually judging ourselves. And as the Bible talks to us about that, it helps us understand the finality that there is when you make judgment decisions. When I was growing up, there was a family that had eight children, lived just a few doors up uh, on top of the hill from where I grew up. And uh, the man ran to be county judge. They had judges of each county in that day back in Arkansas. And uh, one of the boys was 15 years of age, just about the same age I was. And he was telling me that 
He went to his mom and he said, Mom, if dad becomes a judge, do we all get to be judges? And she looked at him and said, no, son, no. Just me and your daddy. <laughs> well, you see, it's important for us to really understand what judgment is all about because every one of us have a tendency to be a judge. We're all in process. We all are. Kids do not come with instruction manuals. Wouldn't you like that? I think we would. We get frustrated sometimes. James warns against using words in the wrong way. And words that he uses have broad application. And we get most annoyed with people who are most like us. That's strange. We have tendencies, all of us do, and you may not know mine and I may not know yours, but sometimes when people come into our lives and they point out something to us, it's kind of staggering, isn't it? One time Betty and I were babysitting a couple little boys, about probably five and three, something like that. And they came to our house and... Uh, to, to spend the evening with us, and, and Bruce and Rhonda were there, and they were about the same age. And I think Bruce said to Rhonda, said, you're nothing but a dummy. And this one little guy, the five-year-old, said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. We don't say dummy at our house. We never say dummy. Dummy is a bad word. You shouldn't call anybody a dummy. Dummy, we don't, we don't use the word dummy, 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 dummy. <laughs> He must have said dummy 20 times. And we finally got the message <laughs> that we had set a bad precedent for those two young men. And how often it is that we can do that and never even be aware of what's going on up in here or maybe hidden down in here. Now, in the scripture we just read, you are criticizing and judging God's law. Now, what does he mean by that? How, how does that work? Well, Jesus said, you love God and you love your neighbor. James says, when you speak evil, you are violating this command. If, if you say something bad about somebody else and, and you really let it out there where everybody gets to enjoy it, <laughs> oh man oh man i'm coming down somebody's row this morning mine ephesians 4 29 listen to this do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's amazing. Don't let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building up, helping someone. Don't go after each other. Establish boundaries of what's allowed to be said. My dad, he was a saint and uh, preached for 59 years I grew up in his house. I loved him dearly. I uh, did not realize how much 
Christ had done in his life until I got around his brothers, Cecil and Leo. And they began to tell me about how dad used to have a really bad mouth. And they were out chopping wood one day in the woods and they were uh, using a wedge to split the, the logs and, with a mallet and so on. And, and one of those things jumped out and hit my dad on the shin. And my dad said, praise the Lord. <laughs> and Cecil looked at Leo and said, I think Ray really got converted. Because evidently he would have said something else, if you understand what I'm saying. And that's the way that words can affect those that listen to us and that are with us and <coughs> the things that happen in our lives. And we understand the power that there are in words. And so, my first point to this would be keep cool and watch your mouth. Especially the keep cool part today. That's... <laughs> That really applies, doesn't it? Number two, be a fan and not a judge. Be a fan and not a judge. James chapter 4 and verse 12, I read a moment ago, got ahead of myself. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you who, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, remember this. He, who's he writing this letter to? His mother? His, his cousins? <laughs> the government? No, he's writing this letter to the church. The church. And he says, let me tell you how that this thing can really move. Because sometimes as we look at each other, and we become acquainted, and maybe some of you are new here this morning, and, and God bless you for coming. Come back next Sunday and hear some good preaching. But I, I just want you to know that God really loves all of us with our peculiarities. Did I say that right? Peculiar? Maybe it's peculiar. <laughs> Words. Aren't they crazy? We need to understand that we are all a part and sometimes you can make a quick judgment and snap out something and then say, wow, I was so foolish. I remember when I went to Southwood Church and uh, my first Sunday there, well, I was there for 14 weeks and then they said, we're tired of looking for a pastor. Would you pastor this church? And I said, yeah, I will. And I did for six years. Then I became 65 years of age, and I felt like I ought to retire. When was that? 65, 75, whatever. And my first Sunday there, I looked across the crowd, and I saw this guy over on the other side of the church from where I was sitting, and he had on a muscle shirt, and he had a ponytail, and he had a beard down to about here, and I thought, there's a guy that needs the Lord. I'm going to see if I can help that fella out. And then we were into worship, and I looked over, and his hands were up, and the tears were rolling down his face. And I saw him melted by the presence of Christ, and he became my right-hand man in that church. I, didn't, never, I never did baptize anyone 
without George Worley in the tank with me because that guy could lift a truck. <laughs> and I knew if I needed help, I had it. And he was a precious brother, and I judged him just by looking at him. How stupid was that? But God will forgive you if you ask him, and I did big time. <laughs> Only one lawgiver. Now, we have a choice. We can tear things up, or we can tear, we can tear things down or build things up. There's that language again. How about some of the things that people say, some of the terms they use? How about this one? You're just like your mother. Oh, okay. You're just like your dad. Or, you're so dumb and worse. Or you could go back to school and make something of yourself. You could do it if you set your mind to it. I think this has all come home to us in just the last few months. A, a young lady has come into our lives, and, and I'm not going to call her by name today, but I'll call her Connie, if that's okay, and I'll be referring to this young lady. She was born in a home as an only child, not very long into her existence, her mother left and another lady moved in to be her mother. But she became an instrument of abuse to this young lady. This young lady was born dyslexic. They would sometimes hit her so hard that they broke all the bones in her ears, and so she has spent most of her life reading lips to make her way through life. And they were always telling her, you're stupid, and you're dumb. You're the only child in this house, but you're crazy. When she was up, uh, probably about 12, 13, something like that, this woman tried to stab her and ended up in prison and died in prison for that act against this young lady. She went into a foster home and they abused her. And it was just one thing after another until uh, it's almost incomprehensible as you think about this. They used to put her in a cellar and shut the lid down and she can recall mice and rats and bugs, and she thinks even sometimes snakes. She was sexually abused by grandfather, by father, and by this woman. Her physical body shows the effects of that. Uh, when we first met her, she had a shoulder that would not stay in socket. She was an outstanding athlete. She loved softball, and she could play it like a tiger, but that, that shoulder would keep jumping out of socket, and it just seemed like she couldn't do the things she wanted to do because of what she had suffered in the abuse that she had received. 
her knee. She wears a big brace on her knee till this day, and they're going to work on that. Uh, a, a surgeon has said he would try to help her fix that because of her abuse. A few months ago, she came to Christ, and her life began to turn around. She became a help and aid at Raleigh Hospital for Children. And as she developed and grew in this role, she really became a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. To the point where she said just a few months ago, I want to be baptized in water. And so they explained water baptism to her and and she said, well, yeah, I, I'd like to do that. But then she began to revert back to how she was raised. And one of the things they used to do with her was fill the bathtub with water, put her in there, and hold her down until she turned blue. And then they would finally let her up. And when it came up to the day of baptism, she says, I can't do that. There was so much trauma. There was so much of the anxiety that she suffered from that activity that she said, I, I'm afraid if I'm immersed, I'll, I'll just, I'll lose it. And, and she has had tendencies to just almost go into a meltdown situation where she's hardly conscious of the things that are going on around her. And so I was there the night that she was baptized. She's in my, my son's church. They baptized her by sprinkling in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. That girl's face lit up with the recognition that she was following Christ and his example and his desire to transform her life. Is she being transformed? Oh, man. I sat the other night in the stands and watched her graduate from nursing school with an RN degree. Yes, yes. And when she walked across that stage, she had cords hanging around her that not everybody had. And it was recognized that in three different areas she had excelled until they have now hired her full-time this fall to become a nurse in the emergency area of the children in Riley Hospital. And this girl is alive and well and powerful because of what Christ is doing in her life. Oh, hallelujah. Give God praise for that this morning. I, I just, uh, when I look at her, she came to our house for Christmas two years ago. Then she came back this year also. But the first time she came, she didn't know how to conduct herself because Christmas time was always a time when they would either burn her with cigarettes 
Oh, they would torture her and they would do drugs and stuff and, and, and just get out in, in outer space wherever their minds would go with the hallucination of drugs and, and all of those things. And she said Christmas was something that she just dreaded. But she came to our house and she experienced a family Christmas. This year, my kids, my wife, we sat down and said, look, we're not going to have any exchange of gifts this year. We're going to make this a Christmas that Connie will never forget. And we did it. And I want to tell you, I've had a lot of great Christmases. I was a, a little boy in Washington State when Rudolph first came out. <clears throat> and I swear to you, I think I heard him on the roof of our house. I really do. His first run, I think he landed on our house, nose lit up, and it was just amazing. <laughs> but I've never had a Christmas that touched me like seeing Connie come alive. She said, I used to get a candy cane every Christmas. Sometimes it had M&Ms in it if they thought I had been good enough. If I hadn't been an empty candy cane. That's her gift. Can you imagine? But when I see the transforming power of Christ in her life, and all the things that God has done brings me to my third point. Remember the mercy of God. God is a merciful God. We've all done some stupid stuff, right? Anybody want to testify? <laughs> all of us course we have. We've all sinned, number one, and come short of the glory of God. That's basic, fundamental Christianity. That's Bible. That's theology. That's it. We've all done those things. But about the time you're ready to pass judgment on somebody else, just remember the stuff that you have done. Maybe somebody's acting like you acted one time. And that's why you're bent out of shape because you say, you know how crazy that is? I did that once. That's okay. It does us good to not always forget. But there's some scripture that will help us with this. And there are verses that can save a lot of damage. And what would this look like if it was applied in your home, in your life, in your workplace, wherever? Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let me read it first in the NIV. Remind the people, this is for us this morning, isn't that great? Holy Spirit wrote this just for us right now. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good. To slander no one, verse 2, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility toward all men, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved 
by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But listen to this, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, verse 5, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us so generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. How many can testify to that today? Just lift that hand and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad God has touched our lives and brought salvation to us? Now, let me read this in the message. Kind of talks our language. Remind the people to respect the government and be law-abiding. Always ready to lend a helping hand. Verse 2. No insults, no fights. God's people should be big-hearted and generous. Verse 3. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. Watch your language there, fellas. Dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. Verse 4. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all that. Verse 5, it was by his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. We came out of it, new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out his life so generously. Does anybody feel like maybe you have just become something that maybe you didn't realize you were, and that is a child of the living God, one that loves you, one that embraces you, one that cares for you. You may never comprehend the ability of God to be so kind and gracious to you, but thank God for his mercy that endures forever. Hallelujah. Now, in the last few months, I've had uh, exciting, well, last few weeks, actually, and it's not exciting, but I've had six funerals, and the first one was 64 years of age. I loved this guy. He was a personal friend of mine. I had ministered to him. I've been in their home many times. He fought cancer seven years and died. But he had experienced the mercy of God. And I know where he is today. A few days later, I received a phone call from a couple that I was a part of their lives at Lakeview Church. And then they came to my church at Southwood. And they found her dead in bed, died in sleep, 48 years of age, gone like that. But again, I ministered to her. I prayed with her at the altar. I, I have seen God touch her life. 
And I have the confidence that she, being absent from the body, is present with the Lord. Brad, 51. This guy, bipolar. Guy that had a, a tough life, adopted when he was six days old by people that really loved him. And he loved them. And when his mother died, his adopted mother. He would have nothing and no one else to do what he wanted to do, and that was to pick up her body and carry it to the hearse as they removed her from her home. I was a part of that whole process. And he died in his sleep. A few days later, Rachel Frost, 95. I loved Paul and Rachel. I buried Paul in November, buried Rachel just a few days ago. And she knew the mercy of God. Last Saturday, I drove to East Lafayette where I have filled in a church there twice. One time for a year while they were looking for a pastor. And then just seven months back uh, a year and a half, or uh, last year and then part of this year, or last year. My years are running together now. <laughs> 71 years of age, going home from work, a prince of a guy, a saint of God. I mean, I love this man. And somehow, it came time for him to go home. He had a massive heart attack, lost control of his truck, rolled it three times, was ejected, died instantly on the spot. And then just a few days ago, I was called to a hospital. Well, actually, seven weeks before that, this man had called me and said, uh, I'm in real trouble physically. Would you pray for me? And he described the situation. I said, yes, I will. Let's pray right now. And I prayed for him over the phone. Then I got a call from his daughter, and she said, could you go and check on Dad? He's in the hospital. Uh, St. Francis South, and I said, sure I will. Walked in, prayed with him. Before I got there, another pastor, where a lot of the family members attend that church, had been there and had led him to the Lord in praying the sinner's prayer. And then I just kind of got to put the icing on the cake and enjoy that with him. The next day, I was headed for the hospital, got in a parking lot on 465 going south, turned around to get on 70, got in another one over on Meridian, and finally got to the hospital 30 minutes after he had died. But it was okay because I had been there and we had prayed together. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I tell you this this morning, because if there's anything that drives me, it is a passion to see men and women experience the grace and the mercy of God. And can I tell you that the three things that I have tried to emphasize today, and maybe I've done a poor job of that, but just think with me for a moment. Keep cool. And watch your mouth. 
be a fan, not a judge. And remember that God is a merciful, loving, generous, grace-giving God. And I would say to anyone in this service this morning, if you are not walking with him, there'll never be a better time than right now to do that. I want you to stand with me all over this room this morning. and I'm, I'm going to read something from God's Word. It, this just came to me this morning. And I said, Lord, I'll do that. And this is what it says in Romans 10 and verse 6. But the righteousness, which is of faith, speaks to us. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? To bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep that is to bring Christ up from the dead but what does it say the word is near you it's in your mouth it's in your heart that is the word of faith that we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then the last verse in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment this morning? How many of you in this service... And we're not here to put people on the spot and judge people or anything else, but I just want to ask you a question. How many would say by lifting your hand, you know, Johnny, I need to experience the grace of God. And I realize that. And you just lift your hand up and hold it up for just a moment. God bless you and you. Yes. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put them down after you've held them up. Thank you. Will you, will you do something with me this morning? Let, let's all pray a prayer together today. It'll apply to every one of us in this room. And we're going to ask Jesus to touch our lives this morning. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth for me. Thank you for taking my sin and nailing it to the cross. And because of that, if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead I can be saved and so I ask you come into my heart forgive me my sin cleanse me and make me new and I pray this in Jesus name 
Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege we have being in this place today and walking out of here knowing that God is with us. Now, go home, love your wife, love your husband, love your kids, kids love each other, and let's turn this world around for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And I guess I can say to all of you without a dismissal any more than what I've already done, start your engines. <laughs> Thank you, Lord.